time as I stand before you in the church, I think I am right in saying this. That the United Kingdom has the highest rate of divorce in anywhere in the European Union. The UK is the highest rate of divorce anywhere in the EU. Highest rate of divorce and don't we know it? I guess it's becoming so familiar to us to, to hear about friends and colleagues and even family members uh, who are going through a tough time, who are going through difficult uh, separations. We hear about this all the time. We live, actually, you could say, in a culture of divorce. Isn't that right? A culture of divorce. Now, all of that kind of poses a, a bit of a problem to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because how do we respond to that situation in society? Do you see what I mean? Like, as a church, do we just try and get with the times a little bit more than we're doing? Like, do we have to accept, I suppose, that marriage is not the institution that it once was? Is that, is that how we should think about things? Do we now think, well, okay, it's just the way that the, the modern world works, that we've got to accept that, okay, people, just because of the way even London works, that people are much more likely to drift away and go their separate ways. We should just accept that. Is that our response to this prevailing view of society? Or do we do something different? Do we now take a different stance to society? And do we take a different stance on the importance of marriage and the very nature of divorce? How do we respond to what is happening in the United Kingdom? How do we respond? Well, this morning... Uh, we come to Mark chapter 10. And let me say this. What we have here is not uh, my opinion. What we have here in these verses is not man's opinion. What we're confronted with in these verses, whether we like it or not, is what God has to say. God's views about marriage, about divorce, about remarriage. And so I would uh, plead with you, ask you at least, to please turn with me uh, in your Bibles to the verses. Not so much to have Deuteronomy in front of you, but to have Mark chapter 10 open in front of you just now. And I think that the first thing that we have to notice here, and I think we really do have to notice it if we're going to understand it, is the hostility we see here towards Jesus. The hostility that we see to, towards our Lord. What do I mean by that? The, the chapter opens with a trap, I think, being set for Jesus, like one of those sort of cowboy and Indian films that used to be on the TV all of the time. It's almost as though Jesus is ambushed. As he walks along the road here. Now, do, do you, maybe, do you see what I mean by that? You see it in verse 2. The Pharisees, they come to Jesus, but they've got a question. Don't they? They're armed for this ambush. And it's their question. They ask Jesus, Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now, what you've got to understand is that at the time, amongst the religious elite, there were really kind of two main views about divorce. 
there was a sort of very conservative view about divorce and a much more liberal view about divorce. And we'll unpack that in a moment. But do you see what's happening here? I mean, do you look, look at the motivation the Pharisees have in verse 2. What are they trying to do? They're trying to test Jesus. Do you see it? They're trying to trip Jesus up. Do you see what's happening? They're trying to get Jesus to take a side. They want Jesus to identify himself as either a conservative or as a liberal on divorce. Why? So that the other side will be in a better position to oppose our Lord and his work. So let me say this. There's a religious flavor of the trap. You've seen that? There's something else, though. There's something else. See, you might have noticed, when Ejidai read this out, that Jesus is on the move. Did you notice that? Everyone tells you that he's left Capernaum. They're given a few geographical details. Do you notice that? He's on his way to Jerusalem. We know that much. So we've got the destination. Then we're told he's gone into Judea. Then we're told that he's crossed the Jordan River. Here's the thing. When you put all of those geographical details together, what you learn is that most likely Jesus at this very point is in a place called Perea. So a region, an area called Perea. And you maybe look at me and say, so what? He's in a place called Perea. But Perea was the area that was governed by Herod Antipas. And Perea was the very place where John the Baptist had been beheaded by Herod Antipas. And so I ask you, what was the issue that led to John the Baptist being beheaded by Herod Antipas? What was the issue? The issue was this. The issue was divorce and remarriage. It was over. You remember Herod marrying his brother Philip's Wife, do you see, the Pharisees choose this place to happen to ask Jesus about his views on divorce. That's not a coincidence, is it? Do you see what's happening here? They're trying to trap him. The Pharisees are trying to get both the religious leaders and the civil leaders up in arms against the Lord. This is a trap. This is a trap. And there may well be many, many uh, bigger, more important lessons for you and I to learn in this portion of Scripture. And I would suggest that there are. But this is well remembered too. That in his ministry, our Lord was nearly consistently, constantly opposed. And that is what we should expect as a church. And let me say this before we move on. Especially when it comes to the issue of marriage. Especially with marriage. We should expect as Christians traps to be set and the gospel work to be opposed. We see here hostility, genuine hostility towards the Lord Jesus. Second thing that we've got to notice here is the high esteem of women. 
the high esteem uh, of women, the value, the dignity of women. Okay, how do we see that? Well, <coughs> oh, excuse me, sorry. So the Pharisees, you've get, you, you understand, the Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus. Here's the thing. What enabled them to ask a question about divorce? Why was it that divorce in the ancient world was an opportunity to try and trap Jesus? Do you see what I mean? Why was there any uncertainty over divorce? you see what I mean? Well, we asked Ijidai to come up in front, and he read from Mark's Gospel, but Ijidai also read uh, from Deuteronomy chapter 24. Where we learn this wasn't an easy portion of scripture, but we learn this in Deuteronomy that Jewish men were permitted by the law to divorce their wives if they met two conditions. One, that they provide a certificate of divorce for that woman. Second condition was that the grounds of the divorce was based upon what scripture called, what the law called, indecency. Do you see the problem? Do you see the uncertainty? What constitutes indecency? You see, like if a a Jewish woman were to burn her husband's toast in the morning, is that indecency? Is that grounds for divorce? If she makes him late for church, is that grounds for divorce? Or does it have to be something more serious? Like what constituted indecency? Decency, see? Well, Jesus here answers that. He doesn't do what you're expecting him to do. He doesn't, he doesn't side with the conservatives. He doesn't side with the liberals. What he does is shed light on why it was that God implemented that law in the first place. So what does he say? Look at verse 5, please. Jesus says, God wrote this law about certificates, about indecency. Why? What does he say? Because the people's hearts were hard. I'm, I'm asking, do you, do you see what that means? Do you see what it means? Well, I think you know as well as I do that the abuse of women many, many different forms. Men are disgustingly imaginative when it comes to mistreating women. And I think what we have to understand is that prior to this law in Deuteronomy, in the ancient world, men were abusing their women, their wives, left, right, and center. And you can maybe see why and how. I mean, they're sinful. They want to separate from their wives, and there's no specific set for them prior to this law. So what were the men doing? They were just throwing their wives out on a whim. Sending them out into a society that, where they wouldn't have any status. And sending them out without any help and any support at all. What does God do? God implements this law in Deuteronomy not because he approves of divorce. But he implements the law as a way of protecting vulnerable women. Do you see it? Now, at least they had the certificate. 
You see, a specific was given. Now at least he could prove what had happened to them. Prove who they were. This was God's way of protecting vulnerable women from harm. I want to ask you as a congregation whether you find that a bit surprising. Maybe you're new to Christianity. Maybe you're new to the church. And maybe you're surprised that the God of the Bible or the God of Christianity is a God who truly values women. Is that surprising to you, is it? Do you know this? It's what we also see at the end of this portion of Scripture. So look with me to verse 10. Now I think if we're going to get verse 10 right, you've got to imagine another one of these changes of set. Because by verse 10, the Pharisees have gone... Jesus is no longer outside, so they're inside, they're in a room, and it's Jesus and the disciples, so you've got the picture, do you? And they're discussing reach, not divorce, they're talking about it. And what Jesus does is give the disciples what I'm going to call an earth-shattering statement. So look at verse 11. So Jesus says to to these Jewish men, he says, anyone who divorces his wife, so we've got that, anyone who divorces his wife, a man, Divorces his wife, marries another woman. You get that? What's the consequence? He commits adultery against her. So that's committing adultery against the first woman. And maybe again, <laughs> you look at me and say, you've said that's earth-shattering. But, you know, why is that an earth-shattering principle? Don't you see? The Jews, they didn't believe that. I mean, the Jews at the time had such a low view of women that, yeah, if a woman were to remarry, then she is an adulteress. Yeah, if a woman does it, but no, wait a minute. No, if a guy does it, no, I mean, he can't be called an adulterer. I mean, it's just a woman, you know, a guy can't be, can't be guilty of that. And do you see what Jesus does? He steps into the fray and he says, no, you were wrong. That a woman is of equal worth. That's what he's saying here. That you are committing adultery against her too. Do you see it? Do you see the dignity, the value that God places on women here? Now, oh, for more time. (laughs) To be able to pick this apart and unpack it and apply it in the various different ways that we need to apply this. We don't have the time. So let me say one thing. One thing, please. You live, if you're a Londoner, you live in a multicultural, multi-religious society. And as Christians in London, we need to wake up to what that means. There are multitudes of people in this city who do not view women with the dignity and the honor that they deserve. We need to stand out from the crowd as Christians. Like, okay, you might say to me, but well, women are supposed to have a different role in the church and maybe a different role outside, but well, fine. But what we see here, we're seeing that, that women, and especially, let me say, especially vulnerable women, They are to be valued. They are to be cherished. They are to be protected even by the church of Jesus Christ. So we see hostility towards Jesus, but we also see high esteem of of women. 
A third thing that we must note, I think, in this portion of Scripture is the hatred of divorce. The hatred of divorce. (laughs) Sooner or later, you're probably inside screaming at me. Sooner or later, you've you've got to cut to the chase. Sooner or later, you've got to cut to the chase. You you see what I mean by this, don't you? Um, This is a portion, if, if I were to ask you, what is this portion of Scripture about? you would say this portion of scripture is about divorce, perhaps, okay? So sooner or later, we've got to cut to the chase and establish what our views, our thinking should be in the church about divorce, right? Got to cut to the chase. Well, to do that, think about the grace on display from Jesus here. I mean, the Pharisees, they come to him, they're trying to trip him up and they're trying to test him about divorce. And despite that horrible motivation, you see what Jesus does? He answers their question. And to do it, he doesn't take them to some exception clause in the law. Did you notice what he does? He takes them to Genesis, people. Like he takes them to the very instigation of marriage by Almighty God. And what he does is he gives the Pharisees this groundbreaking, this almighty principle that we read in verse 9. So I ask you, do you want to know what God thinks about divorce? Then read verse 9. Jesus The Son of God declares, affirms, that what God has joined together, let man not separate. So is that it? Case closed. Sermon over. What's God's view in divorce? Is that it? That... Divorce is not permitted under any circumstances in any event. What God has joined, let not man separate. Is that it? If only it were as simple as that. Because we know, don't we, that in Scripture we learn of a couple of legitimate grounds for divorce. In 1 Corinthians, Paul the Apostle, he speaks about a person being abandoned by their spouse. And he says that that is a legitimate grounds for divorce. And then this is an interesting one. Matthew, in the parallel passage of Scripture, parallel passage of Scripture, Matthew also adds adultery as another legitimate grounds. Now, if you're awake and alert and on the ball, and you're thinking this through, maybe you've got a very difficult question to to ask. Because maybe you're asking this, how come Mark here has Jesus saying there's no exception to divorce? And then Matthew, in the parallel portion of scripture, Matthew says, well, actually, he, Matthew has Jesus saying, well, actually, adultery is uh, an exception. It is a legit. How does that match up? Well, if you're asking that, let, let me say, it. I, I'm not sure I've got an answer to that question. I think it's very possibly about readership. Matthew in the Holy Spirit is writing to who? Matthew writes to Jews. 
And Mark knows, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writing to Gentiles, he knows that if he gives them the exception clause, that those Gentile readers, they're going to abuse that exception clause. So what does he do? Mark, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he leaves it out. But my main question for you is this, this morning. Do you see, as you look at Mark chapter 10, do you see the bottom line? Do you see the point here? Friends, God hates divorce. God hates divorce. And maybe you think that I'm stating that too strongly, perhaps. But I'm quoting scripture from Malachi chapter 2. That God, your God, hates divorce. And isn't that what screams out of Mark chapter 10? Isn't it? I mean, look at it. Listen to the ideal that Jesus gives you here. That what God has joined, let man not separate. Your God hates divorce. Now, how do we uh, apply that? What do we do with that? Well, surely this is true, if nothing else, that such is Jesus' revulsion at the idea of divorce, that we can't stand with society on this issue. Isn't that right, as a church? That we can't adopt and embrace the same sort of lax attitude eh, to marital breakdown as the people around us. We've got to take a different stance on this area of divorce, don't we? But it surely means something else as well. Because don't we have here a lesson for those in this room just now who are, who are married? Like if, if the breakdown of your marriage, if it is going to cause such displeasure to a holy God, what must you do if you're in a marriage just now? You must do all you can to avoid that happening. Like, you read these verses just now, and you might think they're for other people. But if you are in a married relationship this morning, surely you see that here, these verses from Jesus, they should make you redouble all of your efforts with your spouse. You know, to go from this place and think, if that's God's view of marriage, if that's God's view of divorce, I've got to love my spouse. I've got to care for that person. I've got to serve that. I have got to forgive that person. And let me say before we move on, if you're sitting here with your spouse in church this morning, and the pair of you know that there's a problem in your marriage, and if if you know that truth be told as Christians that your marriage is on the rocks, you need to do something about it. You can't let it slide. And you've got to speak to somebody. And I I would say to you, as your minister, that you need, as a couple, to speak to an older Christian couple. Or you need to speak to the church. As a couple, you come to the elders of this church. You speak. You don't let it slide. And you see why you don't let it slide. It's so important. It's too important. Because your God hates divorce. 
And then the last thing. So we've seen hostility. We've seen high esteem. We've seen hatred. But we end with honor. The honor of marriage. A number of years ago, a long time ago, I tried to buy a flat, a tiny pokey little flat in the city of Edinburgh many, many years ago. And uh, it was uh, an unmitigated nightmare and disaster area from start to finish. Because I'm not a man for small details and fine print and that sort of thing. And if you've ever bought anything substantial, you know that's all there is, really, when you're buying a house, isn't there? There's all these exception clauses and there's all this little fine print. And I remember going through this and just losing sight of what it was that I was doing. I'm saying, I'm never doing this again, never doing this again, never doing this again. Isn't that the danger with Mark chapter 10? That we can become so bogged down with an exception clause, so bogged down with the very details of divorce, that we begin to lose sight of the sheer magnificence of marriage. It's not the danger. And we can't let that happen. Today, not this morning. So I want you, as we close, to note with me the wonderful things that Jesus tells you about marriage here. Okay, look at this. He he tells us here that marriage, get this, is the number one, the preeminent human relationship that anyone can have. Marriage is the number one preeminent relationship you can have. You know as well as I do, you've heard the stories before, a young couple get married... And uh, the guy spends all the next nights on the phone to his mum or on the phone to his dad, okay? Or uh, this young couple get married and the, the, the girl, you know, despite the fact they're married, she still goes out every night of the week with her friends, okay? Now, why is that not a correct understanding? Why is that not a correct approach to marriage? Why not? Verse 7 is, why not? What does Jesus say? He says that in a marriage, what happens here? A man, do you see? A man leaves his father. He leaves his mother and he is united to his wife. So I ask you, do you see what Jesus is saying? He's saying that marriage is something unique. Marriage is something special. Marriage is different to other relationships. That in marriage, that couples are to pursue unity, togetherness. Why? Because it's a union that transcends any other human connection. That's how special it is. Then we see that marriage is something that is gifted to us by God. So again, I've got another question. See, if you're married in here, married couple, why should you, even at the, in the heat of an argument, why should you never mention divorce? Why should you never ever even contemplate divorce? Why is it that your relationship is so special? Why? Verse 9 is why. Because even your relationship, even the couples in here, they have been joined together. They have been brought together by Almighty God. It's a gift, whether you like it or not. It is a gift to you from God. And then we see 
much more controversially that marriage is only marriage when it's between one man and one woman. And as soon as I say that, I know I'm on thin ice, aren't I? Nowhere else is the church so at odds with society than when it comes to same-sex, so-called same-sex marriage, right? And it's it's almost in the United Kingdom just becoming a criminal offence to even cast doubt upon the reality or the legitimacy of gay marriage, isn't it? Almost a, a criminal offence. So, what do we do? Just now, what do we do? We look to our Saviour and our Lord, and we look to what he says in verse 6. So you see what he's doing? He's speaking to the Pharisees about how important marriage is. He's pointed them to the instigation, the, the, the beginnings of marriage. He says, you know, divorce is unacceptable. Now, what does he say? He says, in the beginning, God made them, how? <laughs> he made them male and female and, read on, for that reason, a man leaves his father and a mother and, and gets married. Now, do you see what he's done? Do you see what, not me, but Jesus is doing? He's rooting the basis, the foundation of marriage in the very manner, in the very way that God created mankind. Do you see it? Like, what's the foundation of marriage? Why is marriage the way it is? Well, Jesus is saying it's about the way that God has constituted and created humanity. It goes back to that. That marriage is only marriage if it's between one man and one woman. Why? What does he say? Because God made us male and female. You see? It's about how we were constituted, how humanity was made. And then last, last thing, and by no means least, marriage exists to point people to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Marriage exists to point people to Jesus. Now we know, don't we, that in the New Testament, marriage is used as an illustration, is used as a metaphor for the great love that Jesus has for his church. Marriage, an illustration of the love that God has for his people. Now, in light of that, what do we learn about marriage in verse 8? This is the last thing. With this, we end. So look at verse 8, please. We learn that in marriage, two become one flesh. You see it, don't you? I think it's beautiful. There's this great unification before God as a couple tie the knot two become one flesh but do you see in that what our marriages exist to point people to our marriages are to point people to the intimacy that is available with the Lord Jesus Christ in the gospel isn't that true? 
That human marriage, that our very marriages, they exist to show people, to point people, to give them a glimpse, just a glimpse of the unity with Jesus that they can have through repentance and belief. What happens? What happens if there is repentance and belief? Two become one. There is this saving union with the Lord Jesus Christ before God. That is what is available in the gospel. And so I leave you with this. I hope a reassuring thought if you're a child of God this morning. The Lord Jesus Christ, your Savior, will never, ever, ever divorce his bride. He will never mistreat her, never abuse her, and never divorce his church. No matter how much you stray, no matter how many times we fail, the Lord Jesus Christ, he has promised he will never leave nor forsake his bride, the church. And so you see it, don't you? We cherish marriage. We cherish our marriages so that people might just get a glimpse of this illustration of the good news. And we never talk about divorce. We never bring up, we never contemplate divorce so that people might get that glimpse of the enduring forgiving covenant faithfulness of the Lord Jesus Christ. In this church, we've got to stand firm in this. In this church, all of us, we cherish marriage. Why? We do it for the glory of our God. Let's pray.